Hello, folks. This is Nathan from Utility Muffin Labs. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our podcasts, Nerd Words, and 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. I wanted to take a couple of seconds to let you know about some of the ways we are trying to fund our podcasts. First, we have a GoFundMe so that we can replace our broken down old computer. Check it out at www.gofundme.com forward slash help dash keep dash the dash labs dash running. Or click the link on any of our recent podcasts on utilitymuffinlabs.com. Speaking of our website, you'll notice that we've added some Amazon and drive through RPG banners to our site. In addition, our newest VTM25 posts will have links to purchase the books that we talk about. Using those banners and links to buy those books helps us tremendously. Give them a click and help us earn a little bit. Lastly, we've recently set up a Patreon page. We've got a few rewards for our patrons so far, and we plan to bring more as time goes on. Visit our website for the link or go directly to patreon.com forward slash 25 years of Vampire the Masquerade. Thank you for your continued support, and let's get to the show. Welcome to 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, a retrospective, presented to you by UtilityMuffinLabs.com. Welcome to another edition of 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. I am Nathan. And I'm Bob. And uh, we're going to forego the question and answers section today. We're just going to get right into the book because I think it's fresh in our memory and... uh, uh, it's here. We got some information. So the Book of Nod, what is the Book of Nod? The Book of Nod is essentially a prop for a live action game. It is a book that has no rules in it. It's literally just all flavor. It's designed to be used by your player in a live action game or uh, even a tabletop game just as like a, a prop. It has a, a it's a, essentially the, the Bible of the vampire of of the Camarilla, of Spot. Whatever. If you want it to be. Right, if, if you want it to be. It's not, It's no, nothing is set in stone here. And that's the that's the key, really, with this book. And it's, it's 100% in-game. The whole book is written start to finish to be used in-game. It's designed to make your, your elders seem old. It's designed to make your fact finders seem re- valid and relevant. It's to give a culture to the ancients, the antediluvians. And that's how the book should be used and why it was written. And, uh, well, sorry, I'll beat the mic here. Uh, yeah, essentially, it is a, it's a relatively quick read. It's 134 pages long. And it's filled with the lore of where vampires originated from. Uh, some believe it to be parable. Some believe it to be fact. Um, some believe it to be a very involved prank by the Malkavian clan. Um, it's it's up to you as a storyteller or as a player how you wish to use it, but it's designed for you to use as an in-game tome. And before we get lost into it, too, about that being a Malkavian prank, we can hash that rumor out because when you read it, you'll see it. There's two conflicting bloodlines of Malkavians who go back and forth over this book. One is the, you want to try to tackle that pronunciation? Uh, the Nemosyne. There you go. And what are the Nemosyne, Nate? Uh, the Nemosyne are uh, Malkavians or a group of Malkavians or a small sect or cult that are obsessed with acquiring knowledge. They're obsessed with the Book of Nod, and they feel that it's their duty. <coughs> Sorry. They feel that it's their duty to track down and uh, acquire this knowledge. Um, I'll get in depth a little bit about that because I know some people are definitely going to want to know. Uh, the Nemosyne, or Memory Seekers, are a cult of Nadists comprised of Malkavian scholars. Some suggest that they are, in fact, a bloodline of the Malkavians. Their most prominent member is Aristotle de Laurent. And Aristotle de Laurent, along with his adopted chilled Beckett, are responsible for the quote-unquote writing or translating this book into a series of, uh, a series of tomes into this book. Uh, the cult is in conflict with the Jocastians, and until recently, the Venture Elder Bindusara. Uh, the Jocastians. Uh, yeah. Anyways, yeah. So, you, you have a you have a fair understanding. There's basically two obscure bloodline slash sects that are essentially 
at each other's throats with the material within this book. And the Jocastians are important because it's the rival to DeLorent and his group. And Aisha Jocastian, conveniently named, uh, is there. And they're rather unique because what they do is they practice diablerie as a, as a rite. It's part of who they are. And their derangement, like it's the first time really they're giving a specific trait of derangement, right? Like normally in Mount Caving, you're free to pick your own, but this one, you are given one. And upon the embrace, what happens is, is if you diabolize anyone, you believe you inherit their memories and knowledge all the way back to who originally made them. And so they naturally become those who hunt down ancient lore because they believe they know it as if they were there. And that's kind of the idea behind it and what they do. So as you can imagine, here you got the Jocastians saying that the lore that these Nottis are making or getting, these Malkavian scholars, belongs to them. Because their sire, 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 all the way back to Cain, originally lived through it. Right. And, you know, they may even say something like, you're holding what is mine, give it back. Meanwhile, the Nottis are grabbing these relics and artifacts, and they're holding it going, man, I wonder what it was like, culture, whatever. They're being historians on it, and you got this faction coming to claim what's there. So it's pretty neat right. to see how this book comes into play. It, it, uh, it's, most of this stuff is not <clears throat> overtly explained in this book. It's sort of alluded to. Now... Uh, essentially, the way that the book is presented, it's presented by Aristotle de Laurent, and you can you can tell uh, by his words in the way that he opens up the book that uh, a degree of paranoia has begun to sort of sweep across his mind, and he makes a statement about how he's concerned that the curse that uh, befouled his sire and his sire's sire will soon befoul him, and to a degree, he's probably right. You can tell there's that level of paranoia. He feels that certain groups are after him. Uh, the Venture Clan might be after him. He gives you this uh, sort of spark of paranoia, whether it's for the right reasons or for the wrong reasons. And he talks about Beckett as his chilled. Beckett is his adopted chilled at this point. Uh, Beckett, essentially, from what I remember of Beckett's past, and it doesn't really talk about it in this book, and, and it won't until later novels and things like that, but Beckett doesn't know who his sire is. And Beckett is essentially White Wolf's answer to, like, Indiana Jones. <laughs> right. He's the guy who goes and tracks down all the rare artifacts. Who does not love Indiana Jones? Right. I mean, it's an easy thing. Even translating the World of Darkness, Beckett is a fun character to have run through and get all this stuff from these ancient crypts and whatnot. Who knows? It was the fear of snakes there. I forget if he had. I thought I, he did. I don't, I don't know, but uh, <laughs> we we haven't we haven't we haven't confirmed it. But yeah. we hope we we haven't recently read anything on Beckett. The last time I read a novel with Beckett in it was like in the mid two thousands. So it's been a little while. I don't I don't have any clear current day. That's our creative license. That'd be like it'd be kind of cool as a head nod, but we get it. <laughs> but having said that, um, we are introduced to this character, uh, and he also has a foreword. And you can tell that the Aristotle and Beckett are sort of opposed in their perspective on what this information is. Aristotle more leans towards this is fact. These are, you know, the 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 Book of Cain was written by Cain, you know, etc. <laughs> right, like right. these these are real texts that represent real information. Whereas Beckett, ever the grounded realist, believes that these are parable. Like when you read the Bible, like no one believes that, you know, the, the, you know, Red Sea was, was split, you know. But, but there are people who do believe. Right, exactly. That, that possibly that occurred or it did occur and they're, they're right. right to believe right. as they so, will. So the, the two opposing viewpoints here sort of come into question um, and they get right into it. And we're not going to like bore you with uh, reading off this book, although maybe and, I could read it to you. And, and to be honest... It's not. It's not boring at all. Like no, no, if, no. If we ever wanted to dedicate a read, yeah, to just read through, we'd we'd have the sweet, deep tones of Nate read Absolutely. you the the quote you the book. We'd read you the Chronicle of Cain, a dream of the first times, the longest memory. I speak of the first times. We would do that, but we're not going to do that today. But what we could do, and what we're going to do, is we're going to go through the sections and give you a review, just a rundown, right? Because each section has its own usage into how it apply to your game, right? Absolutely. And so the very first book of this, it's split into three books, is The Chronicle of Cain. Now, it's, a, it's very interesting because all of these are annotated, all of the passages and everything, and it basically plays like poetry. It's not a story in the sense that it's a narrative. Right. It's very much like 
biblical. <laughs> for lack of a better term, it's very much written in a biblical style. It's 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 written for you to interpret. And because these passages are are annotated, at the end of each book, there are notes that sort of give you the author's perspective on what these different stanzas might represent or what they might mean. And one of the most amazing ways to lay out a book for in-game, because White Wolf strategically, intelligently made it to where you can't make this the Bible of their world because it's it's the world of darkness. It's supposed to be steeped in mystery. Nothing's ever definite until it comes to claim you. Right. And that's that's how it works. Right. A lot of this reads like prophecy as well. Um, but, you know, we get right into it. In the book of Cain, we talk about the very beginning, uh, Cain and Abel in the Garden of Eden and the sacrifices made to the one above. And uh, if you're familiar with this game, you know the concept. And well, the thing to highlight here is that's perfect. That's exactly what it is. But when you read this book, you cannot cut the passionate writing that goes into it because that too is an it's an analogy. It's supposed to tell the reader it's it's intimate. It's between God and the first murderer. Mm-hmm. And they're highlighting home where the curse came from. And they're saying that this is where it came from. And the point is, is that Cain is not an evil man. He is just a man. And he was a man, same of his brother. Cain was a farmer, able ten. Or excuse me. Cain Cain was a farmer. Yeah, yeah, I had a farmer, okay, Cain was a farm gardener, however you want to put it. Right. And uh, Abel tended the flock. And what was cool about it is when you bring sacrifice to the to the stone, and God asks you for your sweetest and your best, the that of that of your love. Right. And when he when it comes here, Cain lays out the most beautiful flowers, most prettiest things he has that he made with his hands. And Abel brings, you know, like a sheep. Right. The, the most supple of his flock. And, uh, you know, we all know burning vegetables don't smell as good as burning meat. <laughs> right. So the sheep's, is what it is. sheep's killed and it's offered up. But that sacrifice, it's not seen as murder. Your God asked for a sacrifice, sacrifice given. And, you know, basically Cain gets shit on, for lack of a better term. And, and what's funny is it isn't God who tells him this, which is interesting. He does it through an angel. Right. You know, it tells me to do it again. There isn't any there isn't any passage in here where it indicates that God ever directly speaks to Cain. Right. That it, it's either done through an angel or it's done through Cain's father, Adam. And again, it's an analogy, right? Because to me, when you read it now, and remember this is an in-game prop, you're a vampire reading this. Are they warning you of the antediluvians? That there's sometimes people do something in the world of darkness, maybe even your coterie or whatever. And they're puppets. They were they were sent to do something for something even older beyond them. But you have to take it as an absolute. Because soldier, soldier, and leaders lead. And the point is, he tells Cain round two. Get one more chance at this kid. That's it. Mm-hmm. So what does Cain do? Cain gets to walking up there. And then, you know, he sees Abel lay out that. And Abel's like, oh, brother, you didn't bring anything. And with tears in his face and with great regret, Cain grabs Abel, slays him, and throws him up on the altar. And this creates everything right Right. and it goes on down i mean this chronicle he gets cursed but what's interesting about the curse everything levied upon him is from a series of different angels right right? and they're all saying our father's love is never ending and his mercy is never ending and it's all based on decisions that he makes individually the first being the murder of his brother and his father casts him out to dwell in the land of nod you know kicks him out of the garden essentially so you go, <laughs> you, you live go, somewhere you go away. You, you don't come back. Now, what's cool is that the, the land of night, this is supposed to be the world, um, makes it seem as if it's pre-dawn almost. Like, like almost as if the world's already shrouded in night and the only light is in the Garden of Eden type thing. Or wherever they put Cain and Abel. That's the thing. They're never like they're here in this specific place, whatever. They don't even tell you that the Bible has any relevance to the Book of Not at all. No. So you're just imagining this great field of land they were given there's Cain and Abel and then the whole land shrouded in night because allegedly if you leave the land that God gave them it's terrible it's the absence of God it's there's no right they they and they give you like an indication like the land of Nod is the land of wandering so it's it's left definitely up to your imagination to sort of guess what it was like 5,000 years before history you know it's the land of Nod is, what is it? Is it the land of night? Is it the land of go wander? Is it just outside the garden? Well, it's, 
Well, it's all those. Everything right, you said, right, it is right, all exactly. those. But the important thing is, is what is in it. Right. Right? This is when monsters reign. This is when things happen beyond light. This is when all that horrible stuff a storyteller can put in his chronicle he can think of. This is where they had carte blanche. And if you think about it, it's like an artist shop. These are all the leavings that fell off the 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 clay statue that God was chiseling down. And they were allowed to be on the floor. And that's where you get to go if you're not up on the statue itself. And because of that, they got their own culture and their own way of being. In a lot of ways, it's almost like a parable to hell. You know, if you were in heaven, you were in hell. Right. And it goes on after he's cast out. Um, you know, here's a here's a man who feels besmirched by by his God. And he meets uh, a dark woman. But... Yes, but here's the important thing. Remember, this curse, he's not a vampire yet. No, no, no. He's not a vampire at all. Basically, he just got evicted. Right. He, he's just like, you, you get the hell out of here. You go wander. You brought murder to us. We're, we're, you, you go away. But if you're listening, the heartstring I want to pluck in you is this. He's a mortal man who can no longer eat food. He can only eat ashes for sustenance. Well, at this point, no. That's not correct. At this, at this point, because the, the eat ashes and drink blood... That's from one of the angels. That's that's a curse that's levied on him. Right, all of them are curses levied right, on him. But by that the hasn't happened to him yet. Got you. So right first, now we're at the first. He meets the the he meets Adam's first wife Lilith, and he uses her to Thank gain you. his power. I'm ahead. Got you. Yeah, yep. No, that's okay. So he meets with Lilith, and Lilith claims to be Adam's first wife, and they make uh, illusions that. She is essentially the first mage. She's like the first Verbena. She is awakened. And in the passage, she even plainly states, I'm awakened, you are asleep. And we don't know what that means. Right. The truth be told, like it's everybody who's read that, I've had this big debate. It's a vampire book. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So her awakening can just be she was awakened. Like back as if, because you got to remember, these are the people, this is pre-antediluvians. And if the antediluvians were these rampant blood god beings, right? what was Cain? Right. And so to that end, what was Lilith? Right. And power is power and power is sake. Right. You know what I mean? So who knows? But and essentially, what, what, it, what, it, what it implies or what it overtly tells us in these passages is that all of the, the sort of classic disciplines of the vampire, she shows him how to use those and, you know, shows him how to harden his, his flesh against damage, how to increase his strength. And they go through this long list uh, about how she teaches him all of this stuff. Um, let me see here. And uh, also, we get the first uh, the first understanding of the blood bond, the the, the usage of blood. Um, so, where it starts out with Lilith, basically, she shows him how to f- fend for himself because he has he's never had to. And she's lived outside of the purveyance of God for who knows how long, since before Eve was made. Um, so she teaches him how to survive for himself, how to hunt, how to feed, how, or how, to, how to hunt, how to eat, right. how to make shelter. Then Cain, then Cain asks her eventually, because they, they grow to love one another, and, uh, or at least she believes they right. grow to love one another. And then Cain realizes he needs these things. He he needs he wants to know how to do what she does. Right. And she's not certain if he could survive the process, you know, or more importantly, probably wouldn't stay with her. I think right. she knew ahead of time, once he knows all these things, you're going to leave. Right. And she doesn't want her heart broken. She doesn't want that to happen. But she also loves him. So as, as the book states anyway. Right. And so she lets him go through this process. And there... He right. learns for himself. Right. So this is what's important. The distinction is she's this powerful being who knows all these tricks. She teaches him some to eat and survive and whatever. Fine. But none of the vampire disciplines are taught yet. He, that, that's his power. When he becomes awakened, and that's what it is, she helps him become awakened. That's, that's when he learns protean and everything else. Right. Um, speed, uh, strength. At, at this point, he's approached by three angels. And the first angel uh, basically says, hey, you know, you're, why don't you come and repent from the evil that you've done and let God's mercy wash you clean? And Adam's like, no, I'm going <laughs> to live by my own, by my pride. And so Michael, the first angel, curses him to be uh, forever fearful of, of the fire of his sword, giving that weakness to vampires the, 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 the fire 
And in an example, you know, we're not gonna we're not gonna go through the rest of that, but basically you see how they're giving again, this is where people can go, ah, it's an analogy. Ah, this is just this is just creative license to explain the process he went through and him realizing he was this omnipotent vampire thing. You know, he had to get the curse from somewhere. And someone says angels came down and levied it all. Right. Gave him option, he refused, and they make Kane sound a bastard. Right. You know, but also the classic tragic guy. Right. Right. I don't need God's mercy. I'll I'll learn to forgive myself. Right. It's these are these are my actions and I'll atone by my own accord, not because you tell me I should. Because I did nothing wrong. Right. You asked me to kill him. Then we get uh, Raphael who comes down and says, "Hey, repent and, you know, all will be forgiven." And Cain again says, "No, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do it by my own. I'll forgive myself." And Raphael's like, "Then you get to recoil from the dawn that you'll forever live in darkness. Um, so, so he says, all right, well, I'm going to go hide in the, in the ground and find a place on the earth and we'll go on from there. Um, then the Archangel Gabriel, the Lord of mercy finally says, Hey, why don't you come and, and repent again? Cain's like, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. And uh, Gabriel's like, well, then you'll drink blood and eat ashes. And you have your trifecta of vampiric curses that are levied upon Cain. Forever your kind will dwell in the darkness. Forever your kind will recoil from fire. Forever your kind will eat blood or drink blood and eat ashes. And the eating ashes thing, it's like, who, who really knows what that means? The, in here, they talk about how Basically, that means you, your life will be sorrow. You'll, you'll, you anything you love will turn to ashes in your mouth. That that sort of concept. Um, so then, the through his awakening, let's see here. It talks about this right here, actually. Um, so th- this process was the process of awakening Cain. When they talk about Lilith, like helping him to awake. He then learns and develops these disciplines. We jumped ahead a little bit. I jumped ahead a little bit. Right but now, this is the point, and so it goes on. It tells you the the basically this tale of how he becomes a vampire through his own pride, through his own unwillingness to bend a knee and see God's light after being cast out. And it's an important note of contention because I like bringing that up back to that my point. Saying that Lilith was awakened does not mean she's a mage. Although people get that because we know Cain's not a mage. Right. But yet he went through the process too. So I like to think of it is that in the story they're saying that whoever goes through this grand awakening process of being out of God's plan, or if that's even possible, whatever you want to call that process of being cursed by every big angel there is, um, you inherit a dark power. And to everyone it might be different. And that's that. I mean, that's straight up in that book into it onto itself. I will add this. Um, there is an, an Amage supplement book similar to this that they talk about Lilith in a different light, but it's, it's the same method. Scholars mm-hmm. made a book, and it's an in-game prop. But I want, you, I want to say that because a lot of you, a lot of people forget. Because you read every book in the world, things slam together. And doing this review allows us to go, okay, hang on a second. We're going to talk about that later, but we are aware one exists. Right. That's all I mentioned it for, so you understand, because you need to focus. Right. When you use this book, vampire. Yeah, absolutely. That's who it's for, and that's who it's about. And, uh, yeah, it really comes down to, like, the, the whole like, concept of fact-checking. Like, we're here, we're here to review this book. You know, this book is in our hands, and we're reading it and going, okay, what do we think of it? What's included in it? And is it viable for you as a player to use? And that's what we're going to determine here. You know, for, for us, it's not so much like, yes, we know for certain that the Bruja Antediluvian's name is Troil. Like, we get that. It mentions it in here. Is it? Is it not? It doesn't really matter. Here's the important thing. It's a review between two guys who enjoy and are passionate about what you're passionate about. That's why you listen. That's why you endorse us. That's why you care. And bottom line, the method here is not lost. The purpose of this game isn't lost between the two of us. And that's to be at least, I would say, 90% accurate. Mm-hmm. 
you know, we're not going to get every factoid date in there. In fact, we haven't even tried <laughs> no. to give you in-game dates for that very reason. No. There's a plus because there's a lot of contradiction placed in by White Wolf on purpose. Right. One book says it's this. Two supplements later, it's that, Absolutely. and they're both valid. And and when you're talking about like how we're doing this process, we're going from first edition into second edition, and then from second edition into third edition. And every time they've they've updated the editions or revised what's come out, things have gotten changed. Things have gotten retconned. And at times we tried to make note of that, but that's where we where we end up with this podcast is not going to be where we started as far as what the story is. Because it's supposed to be a discussion where you guys are kind of quietly listening to two friends prattle on. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's the, sort of the right. idea. But the review purpose is to stay true to the book, and we sorry that we deviated from right. that a little bit right now. But we just want to hammer it home for one reason. If you're listening to this thinking that we're giving you a complete rendition verbatim read back to front accuracy right. to turn around and not have to read and not own the book, you don't understand right. what a review is. Right. <laughs> that's that's very true. <laughs> so to bring it all back, the uh, the chapter that we're working on, the Chronicle of Cain, uh, then goes on to tell you the tale of Zilla. And Cain meets this crone. And we learn how Cain comes to understand the power of blood. And basically this crone <laughs> tricks Cain into... Horribly tricks him. Right. Comes, come back and, and feed on my blood and we'll give you this Cain's potion. Cain's in love with a woman, and I believe it was in Ur, I think they mentioned. I don't even know. It might be. They, it's, I, it's, it's an ancient city that existed around at that point, and there was this great city, army included, and this beautiful woman's there. And she does not give Cain the time of day. Like she, he can't even get her to look up. Is what it feels like. They don't write the detail of it. Just, just that he's like almost denied. She doesn't notice him or whatever. Right. And uh, or he's not good enough. It's to that tune. But then he goes and finds this this crone, and the crone starts like seducing him, like telling him, "I know a way, but you got to agree to this process. You know, drink right. my blood three times over three nights, and you'll you'll be able to do what it is you seek to do." Right, and. Uh so Cain is smart. Cain realizes that uh, after the third time, he, he's been tricked. And so he avoids the crone. He avoids the crone at all costs. And they talk about how for a year and a day, he avoids this crone. And the crone doesn't know that the bond will only last for that long. And so eventually Cain returns after a year and a day and BSs her into believing he's still totally involved with her and in love with her <laughs> and then just ends her existence just strikes her down and it tells us the tale of the 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 sacrifice of of the blood of the ability to bind someone to you through the use of the blood and then they move on to talk about the first city and in the first city real quick though you may be wondering well who the hell was the crone yeah we don't know no crone's dead crone was just a crone no No idea (laughs) like like any of those great terms it's like we could turn around and say uh uh, who was uh, who's the guy that stabbed Jesus in the side in the Bible? And everyone will say, oh, his name's been used. You're like, that's cool. What was his life like? <laughs> right? No, nobody. Knows. I don't know. He's a Roman soldier. Yeah, no. See, he he didn't get to to. He was a loser. Right. So his name wasn't in the tale. <laughs> right. It was like, oh, the crone's the crone, and we're done. Right. And nobody knows. And I, I like it beautifully because oftentimes the parable of the crone is related to Baba Yaga. You know, and it's like, no, Baba Yaga is nowhere in existence around at this no, point. No, no, she ain't, she ain't up and kicking yet. However, this is a game in prop. For all yep. we know, what if it is a manipulation by someone to draw attention to Baba Yaga right. as a whole organizational whole? Good way to use it. Yeah, absolutely. Just saying. So then we move on to the tale of the first city. And um, the first city, Enoch. Basically, the city is named... After Enoch, who Cain embraces, uh, it's Enoch, Zilla, and Irad, I believe. Irad, 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 Irad. I'm not sure. That's one of those names where we're I call him Iraq. Gonna, we're yeah, close. We're gonna we're gonna pronounce it incorrectly. <laughs> Good old um, Iraq. Uh, Cain ruled as a king among the human beings, as did Cain's flock, Cain's children. And the three are important for one reason, right? Zilla's the most beautiful, right? Um, Irad's the strong, yep. thus called Irad the strong, or Irod the strong, if you will. And then the third, Enoch was the ruler. And what do you have there? You have three obvious progenitors, or, or excuse me, the, the, the ones who create the Torador. There's Zilla. Uh, Enoch is clearly Ventru. 
And then the third is I read the strong or the Bruja. And they all have those characteristics. Like those clans later on almost stereotypically have characteristics of those three in this book, which further leads Beckett into the and backs up Beckett's point that, okay, someone clearly, he doesn't know where, but it's like, he's trying to figure out the end. Someone's bullshitting, mm -hmm. you know, but if you're on another side of the coin, you can get why a scholar would get excited that, oh, these are descendant traits from back in the day. Right. And it's like, cool, it's whatever you want to convince yourself. Right. And so Cain's, Cain's three children then embraced 13 of their own. And for a time, things were good. <laughs> that, that's basically how this story plays out. But as time went on, the indulgences of the, the kindred, the indulgences of the vampire over the children of Seth... And it tells you them too, right? It tells you right. the traits of who those 13 are. Right. And they do it in a beautiful fashion. The artwork alone tells a thousand words about the children that are there. Mm -hmm. um, that outline them in. And it even includes the followers of Set. Mm -hmm. So it's a, beautiful, it's a beautiful thing in how they write it up. Uh, the world grew dark with sin. Cain's children wandered here and there, indulging in their dark ways. And as we know, eventually... That stuff didn't play uh, so well with uh, the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> and a great flood came. <laughs> and the city was destroyed. And you're asking why the flood came. We can look to other, other beings that were in existence that claim to call back to those days. And a very easy one, again, this is us using a, a past book to explain, well, not so current, but future product. But look up the name Urshul Gi, mm -hmm. which is the closest you're going to get to someone who really walked in those times with a modern perspective of where White Wolf hammered home just how dangerous it must have been back then. Right. I believe in his description of his background, it's, it's simply he was born when the skies rained blood and the world was awash in storm and darkness. What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> right? It's like, gee, right. he was born in a biblical hurt. What? What is the what is the character's name where, like... Ellie Melek. Yeah, Ellie Melek, where they... The only, like like embrace and they give you like a biblical passage right they do it on purpose right. <laughs> like you can grab your bible and look up what they quoted and it's ellie melick right and he's right there in these are like the, the scope of things like of course in a in a modern day vampire setting it's it's nearly impossible to portray something that's been that been around for that long they talk about even even at this time in the first city this the the flood comes and washes away the city and Cain gets depressed, and Cain goes to ground. Like, what did Cain do? Right. Like, I would have made, it's like, when you read this book, I'm, we are reading this book, we're reviewing right, this right. book right now, even in my head, it's like, okay, cool, what the hell were you doing that was so bad that God was like, separate church and state? <laughs> it's a done fucking deal. You got people giving you blood for yeah. free? I didn't, it, that's not a curse, right. you're living it up. Right, right, you're, you're not gods, you, you can't stand it. No, I, I am I am God. <laughs> Those guys are my angels. My angels are going to tell you I'm the guy. No, I'm the one. It's the first. They also tell the story then by what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Do they not describe corporate etiquette? <laughs> like the fucking CEO comes in and calls his top guys. Goes, what the fuck is going on here? You're right. giving it away free? Is is that a curse you gave him? And you got Michael going, um, we got this taken care of. Yeah. Hey, Gabriel, don't we got a flood coming? Right. Yeah, we got a flood. And and so Kane goes to ground. Kane says, uh, screw this. I'm going to go to Torpor. And so the rest of the progeny, they're like, they're lost without him. Because Cain, for, for as powerful and as knowledgeable and as godlike as these creatures are, they're not Cain. And so they go and they search and they track him down and they find Cain deep in the ground. They're like, hey, come on, man. We need you. And <laughs> we he's got like, a city. And he's like, no, no, I'm done. That was a curse. That's your bad. Leave me alone. The kindred go back, the, the, the progeny go back, and now they find the children of Noah. And so now they, they resume. They talk about now how, how clans are forming, how the, the progeny of the 13 are coming to be known as the kingship clan, and the clan of the beast, and the moon clan, etc., 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 down right. the line. And they begin to describe these different, these different clans and how human beings and the the progeny of Cain begin to spread throughout the world. And it's also talking about how if you're Cain, oh man, were you cursed? We're talking amongst your own people, your own descendants that were everywhere. You're an Abel's descendants. Anyway, it was all copacetic. God said, Nope, you were cursed. Goodbye. Washes them all away. They're dead. 
And then just a few of you were left alive, whatever. Because if you had a whole entire civilization of vampires just kicking it, right. why did only these people survive? Well, we were the super ones. Okay, cool. Now we move on with that, but then they encounter Noah's people. And Noah's people at this point are gentle, living off the land, doing their thing. Mm-hmm. And then come folks to say, hey, we can make your life easier. We just need to stick our fangs in your neck. But it goes on. And now we're waiting. We're waiting for the third city. We're waiting for Gehenna. And for those of you who follow the plot of the game, that will eventually come. You'll get there. And all things will be revealed. Or it won't because we're about to get a fifth edition of the game. So whatever you want to do in your story. And, and those Gehenna books, even if you've read them, not to give a mini review, but an insight, they were written to be fine if you want to end it. Here it is. Right, absolutely. And that, Here's some ideas. That's the key thing. Like one, one question that we had from a person was like, oh, you know, how, are you, how do you reconcile that like this is a book of prophecy and all the prophecy comes true? Well, kind of it does, but also kind of it doesn't. And that's the thing with this game. The one thing that all of you as storytellers or players need to be aware of, this game is open for you to do whatever you want. Disregard what doesn't work for you. Add what does. Simple as that. If you're like, well, Aristotle De Laurent, he he's crazy. He made this all up. Oh, yeah. Awesome. That's your game. That makes sense. It's totally great. If you're like, nope, everything was true. Skies are going to rain with blood. There's going to be a third city. And we're all going to get eaten. Cool. That's your game. And I want to play it. Yeah. If your players dig it, we dig it. We're, we're into it, too. So then uh, at the end of that, we get the annotation, the, the explanation from the author about the, the book. And uh, it's good. It's insightful. It helps you to, you know, uh, apply the, the poetry of the book to the logical scientist hunting down <laughs> right. these books. Oh, excuse me. Then we move on to the Chronicle of Shadows. And the Chronicle of Shadows is essentially the rules. He's exactly right. It, it's, it's uh, you want to feed? Here's how you do it. You want to make progeny? Here's how you do it. Here's, here's what you're allowed to do. Here's what you're not allowed to do. Those that serve us, they, they talk about ghouls and everyone that's ever mistreated a ghoul, apparently you done messed up. And Chronicle of Secrets <laughs> points to one fact. If you're a Camarilla fan... And you're like, man, antediluvians weren't real cool. Explain the book of Nod. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, it's, you know, screw it, burn it, because they're BS. Okay, well, then where did Cain's Laws come from? Because Chronicle of Secrets outlines quite a bit. Right. That did point in that direction where they came. I'm not saying verbatim, but I'm saying they definitely had some sources. Right. You know. And they, they talk about how you should regard and treat. So remember, we're expanding to an entire world here. The moon beasts, werewolves, the wild ones, the fae. The enlightened, the mages, uh, and the, and then they talk about uh, the commandments of the kindred. You are not allowed to diabolize. <laughs> yeah, you're not. That's, that's what we're really telling you here: is you're not allowed to diabolize. <laughs> Don't do it. Cain doesn't like it. Right. And they have uh, individual statements from the different clans: uh, commandments from Bruja, the words of Gangrel to his children, Malkav's words, Nasferat's words. Uh, the words of Torador, words of Ventru, Salat. Uh, and then, again, we're forbidding you to diabolize. We just want to <laughs> hammer this home. Stop eating us. You are not allowed to diabolize. Don't do it. <laughs> and they talk about the, the laws of Cain and punishment that Cain would levy. And then uh, we talk about Proverbs. And this is where we get that... The first to die in any jihad is the Nasratu. It's basically just words of wisdom from Cain himself, where they talk about watch Gangrel and when they are uneasy, leave. Like these are things, these are easy things for you as a player <laughs> to quote from the Book of Nod. Right. And what's what's funny about these is that they've been used in canon. Yeah. You know what I mean? But they're not untrue. Right. But it makes common sense. The first to die in any jihad is the Nosferatu. Right. Of course, because these distrustful bastards. Because the Nosferatus know where all the bodies are. They're right. They know, they know the secrets. You can't trust them. That's rule number one of an information broker is to make sure at least someone backs you to protect you. Right. That's the one, that's the one screw you don't turn, right? Right. When the, when the war starts happening, the spies go to the, you know, they, they're out of there. Either they picked a side. Or they is the side. Right. And it's not to say, like, you should kill the Nosferatu. It's just to say, you won't be finding any Nosferatu once the war starts. Exactly. 
Uh, and then we move on to the Chronicle of Secrets. And the Chronicle of Secrets is like Revelation. It's, this is all the stuff that's going to happen. This is all the, the protents and, and the, this, is, this is the, wait for the future. This is the bad shit that's going to happen. If you're a Malkavian player and you want to sound really crazy, but in a cool way, quote the Chronicle of Secrets. Just pick a random passage and quote it, and at whatever opportune time strikes your strained self. Right. And uh, when they were sort of wrapping up the original classic world of darkness, this was all the stuff that they went to. This was all the prophecy that they started to include in all those books. And this is good because if you are going to run a Gehenna game or if you're, you're thinking about moving your chronicle in that direction... Hey, these are all keys that uh, you can use in your game to sort of bring the game towards that. For sure. Like if you need that blueprint or that daunting task and don't know a starting point, or if you're like me and the kind of kind of pick and chose your Gehenna scenarios. Right. I often referred back to the Book of Nod just to make sure I had the right flare down because what, really what the Book of Nod to me is is just you know what I mentioned in the beginning. It's it's culture, it's vampiric culture from back in the day, allegedly but translates easily to see towards the future of how vampires interact even now. Right. And then that's, that's it. It moves on to the appendix, and they talk about the known history of the first city. And there's a little bit of uh, uh, a foreword from the author, and there are two pages on what the first city was like, what religion was like, what feeding was like. And interesting enough, there was no religion in Enoch. Can right. strictly forbid it. We don't, we don't worship gods. I wonder why. A little bitter. <laughs> a little bitter. And then uh, from there, you know, it gives you like two pages. And then from there, we get to the afterword. And the afterword is where we talked about the conflict between these two Malkavian cults. And this is where Aisha Jocastian comes right. in. Right. And she talks about her experiences. And we get some insight into what the Jocastian way is, the Diablery of Sire by Chilled and, and so on down the line. Written beautifully. <laughs> Written beautifully. It's, it really, it, for me personally, I'm very interested in one day maybe playing a Jocastian because of it. Because the cool fact that they write this book the way it is, she gets into this whole, if it is a she, I'm assuming it's a she. But, I think so through the name Aisha. But, um, but how how they go down with it is the fact that the revelation is for the reader looking at this content. They just want you to know that there's a consequence for being one tied to the ancient lore so heavily. Looking to see it and what have you. For instance, two vampires apparently fake being Cain in a city she visited, and she got to watch as Justicars came in and watched that nonsense right out of the whole city, even burned like pretty much a lot of the elders in the city too and sort of a witch hunt and basically basically made them the example because what those two did pretending uh to be kane and it took two of them that con they concocted some sort of strange way uh powers etc influence to pull it off and she kind of chuckles like yeah and look what happens you want to be kane that's what kane gets right because the camera is not on your side when it comes to that reverse conversely she goes on to say or i'm lying you know right, what I mean? Right. Like everything she gives you, she says, or well, that's a lie, or I'm a member of the Sabbat, or I'm a Giovanni, right. or I'm a Sedite just, just trying to confuse you, whatever you want to believe. Right. Or I'm a hunter and I'm here to, you know, sow discontent among the. Yeah. So she, she plays uh, an interesting game. Essentially, this book was designed to have about 200 copies printed out, right? And it was meant to be spread among other Nada scholars by Aristotle. And she gets a hand, uh, hold of it, and apparently she prints it far and wide. Well, we know because we have one in our hand. She prints it far and wide. We got it. She and works that, away. And that's Wolf. why your character in a game can get their hands on it. Now, an astute storyteller is going to go, well, yeah, you can have this book, but what does it represent to my masquerade? What does your prince think about this? Because even if this book is available... This book is really... A breach of the masquerade. It, yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's one of those situations where when your player in your game has a copy of it, how is your city going to respond to that? You know, uh, is it something that perhaps 
a member of the Primogen Council has, and they hide it away. A Tremere, a Tremere Chantry can have one on tap. Right. If they give a damn about not a lore. Right. Absolutely. So that's basically what we're looking at here. Um, that, that's pretty much the end of the book. Now, a couple of small criticisms I'd like to give to this, and these criticisms, I believe, were they were attended to in a later issuing of this book. But there are uh, there's at least one spot in here where the text is unreadable. Um, I believe it's under the words from Malkev. Yeah, Malkev's words. So if you look at this page, this is page 80, and it is nearly unreadable because they... I don't know if they messed up with the types. It's on purpose. So they're the words of Malkus. So, so this was actually changed in a later printing. So I, I, I'll, I'll take what you're saying, and, and that's what I thought it was. I took it as creative license. Well, I'm, I'm doing it that right, way because right. I was like, that's kind of cool. The words of Malkus, and you can't read them. Right. <laughs> and then at the end of ninety three, page ninety three, they talk about you know they're talking about all the, uh, you know all the, the passages and number fifty two just ends. <laughs> It's just like mid-sentence, it just ends. And, and who like, knows why? Because you got to remember, right. the beautiful thing about this book, even if they make a correction later right. on, I'm almost mad they did. Because it was cool, because it lent credence to that. Uh, it's The book's supposed to be written by these right. these vampires. Right. So they're going to have typos. There's going to be mistakes. Or who let Malkus... You can't type what Malkus said. Who knows? <laughs> right. Who knows? And and you know you can take those either way. I, we're just using the benefit of... You know, later on, we understand how this book gets re-edited. Um, but we have a we have a version that came out in like it was reprinted in ninety seven. So it's like five or four or five years after the original one. They didn't fix it in those reprint. So it, you know, take it for what it is. Having said that, this is this is a book we've had for twenty plus years. I've bought that book four times. We've we've gone through like this specific book. We paid ten ninety five for. So that'll tell you how long we've had this specific book. Right. This book we've probably had in the collection in somebody's hands for at least 20 years. It is in great condition. It is. It has held up to use after use after use after use. And it's an easy read. For you as a player, if you want a book that's an easy read, I read this book in two hours. Yeah. No problem. No time. So you can get through it quickly. And it's thin, it'll fit in your pocket, and it's a great thing to take around with you. And again, for as long as we've had this book, it's a black book with silver painting on the front. Even the painting on the front has stood the test of time. I think it's artistically sound. Right. Meaning that it's, it's, it's not only gorgeous, it'll last. Yeah. It, which is, is the point. Yeah. If you can find like a, an eBay one, like an original, I don't know how the ones now are, but if you can find an eBay, like five, six bucks, Pick it up. It's worth it. And if you get it as a PDF, that's cool, too, for the content, but you're kind of cheating yourself. Yeah. Because even if you're doing tabletop, hand it to your player. Save yourself some time. Yeah. And it's, you know, and also, that's cool, right? Because vampires don't necessarily like email and PDAs, <laughs> right. right? They're ancient beings, too. They're a bit anachronistic, so just go ahead and... I, I feel like these prop books, like Revelations of the Dark Mother, The Book of Nod, um, you know, th those types of books, you're doing yourself a disservice by not having them just because they are something physical you can use in your game. What you said about getting a PDF, really I think you're missing out because you don't have this physical piece of material. I agree. The PDF is so, it's, it's not intimate. Mm -hmm. You need it to be intimate because you need to understand how your players are going to feel. And when you pull something off the shelf and look at, look at people and go, this is in-game, you right. don't have to come this ask a me a million questions. This is a prop. Right. This is what you find in a tomb. This right. was sitting in an elder's haven. Whatever you want to do with it. Right. So I, I feel like uh, when you're playing in a tabletop game, you know, obviously you're going to be in an intimate scenario with your friends sitting at a table. Do whatever, because that's what works. But for me, when I do a tabletop game, I definitely like to have props. I'll go and I'll make printouts. Right. And I'll give those to my players because I want them to have something physical. I want them to have to deal with that clutter. I want them to have to look at an actual piece of paper and feel it. And, you know, for me, it's, it's character building, you know, and in your game, do whatever works for you. But in a live action game, 
I don't I don't ever like I have PDFs of the live action games. Both of us have PDFs right. of them, but we collectively and I feel I speak for you. I would rather have a physical copy of the book. I would yes. rather have something that I can open up and go, here's that passage. Let me let you look at it. You know, that's for me when you're doing a LARP, unless your character's like super electronic guy or super electronic girl, stick with something physical, stick with something tangible, you know? And that's, that's uh that's the end of my diatribe. <laughs> that's all I got to say about I, that. I didn't say nothing, man. Cause you're right. I agree with you. Yeah. hundred percent. So, um, short book, a little bit shorter, uh, review, you know, if you listen to like our early podcasts, pretty much right online with those. Um, we don't really have a lot of questions, uh, that we got this week. We had mo- mostly like comments and, and interactions, but nothing really like, Hey, what do you think of this? One question we did get was what do we think of the Chronicles of Darkness compared to the classic world of darkness? Now, I, here's how out of touch I am. I didn't know that New World of Darkness was now called Chronicles of Darkness. <laughs> I didn't even know that. But um, we kind of addressed this in a previous podcast. But just to reiterate, those books are on our shelf. Th- those books are in our library. I've bought that entire collection. Uh, I've even bought the obscure line that started off at from uh, from the New Changeling book to the their their supplement for the the Demon book. For what it is for Laura's spirit book. There are so many Chronicles of Darkness books in our house that I'll, we have kind of like a, we have a couple of bookshelves full of just gaming books. About seven feet tall. And then we have what we call our library, which is the closet in the bathroom. And you'll understand why we call it the library. But I'll go in there and I'll be like, where, where did this book come from? Like, what is this book? They're congressional meeting houses. Yeah. And uh, so we definitely have them. Um, I would say that Bob is fully invested in Chronicles of Darkness. I just haven't really ever gotten the chance to sit down and take the time to. And you really should. I've been telling you for years. I've read. I've read the fiction. I enjoy the fiction. Um, and I, we we've played a couple of games. We played a couple of LARP. We we played a couple of tabletop, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I will give you a quick rundown, and I'll do it later, probably in Nerdwords again, just so we have it mm-hmm. separate, because this is the book and nod we're talking about here today. But to answer that question real fast, Old World of Darkness is fantastic. Many of fans love it because it was 80s goth and everything you were looking for, and it, it played. It, it stands the test of time because it's Immortals. That's, mm-hmm. that's why it will, always will. And people digested the content already. They already know what that is. When you jump to the new World of Darkness... The new world of darkness is you are a monster. We are not playing around. That is what you are. You are vaguely familiar with what it is to be a human, and you know you're pretending to be a to be a human as a vampire because you need to feed. And it artistically immerses you in exactly how to go about to portray that. It like they did it good in Old World of Darkness, but Old World of Darkness felt like we had to spoon feed you. Here's here's a little bit. Yeah, you understand it. All right, now go play. You're good. I feel like with the old world of darkness, there wasn't enough of a concrete understanding of what even they wanted to portray, and I feel like it took them a number of years and a number of tries to get to the point where we kind of all agree on what it is today. Right. I feel like White Wolf took that experience and said, "All right, let's start from zero. We know what we want to portray." Let's make it consistent across the board. Do we have time to compare a clan real quick? Yeah, sure. Let's make it good. Yeah. Old World of Darkness Torador. Beautiful clan, well written, but your imagination was relied heavily upon to decide, like, why would you not play a Torador? Like, you're going to play a Torador, you're going to be beautiful, you're going to be drawn to be obsessive, and that's your flaw, things, creativity, the whole nine, but you're the humanity vampire clan, allegedly. I'm not going to ruin why they don't because we're into the clan book supplement. Right. There's a lot of lore steeped in it, but they come up with a good cultural kind of harpy clan that is the cat's meow. Every, I'm not stereotyping. It's my experience. I'm stating it. Most of your proud about their appearance players to, I'm trying to be unisex about it. I'll be fair. I'll, I'll say what I mean. Most beautiful women who know they're beautiful or maybe just want that bump <laughs> play a Torador in a live action setting and dress the part, and rock the part, and draw attention accordingly because of it, which is exactly what you do with the Tortor clan. So do the men. 
that's the both both sides do the same thing but they have that arrogance that makes them torador and it's okay because they also should be approachable or just catty that's the goal the new world of darkness chronicles of shadows chronicles of darkness chronicles of darkness i hadn't ever called it that so that's why i was laughing so um new world of darkness the torador clan is cursed they are cursed they are the take those same people in their head why they drew them to be a torador give it to them again and what you have is they don't have a choice if they go into a room and say nothing people are drawn to them they want to know them, want to touch them, want to, they wait on bated breath on everything they say because their clan discipline of that presence, it exudes everywhere. And this is a common normal guy. Like, I'm Bob. I'm a, I'm a sexy guy to me. I'm a confident dude too. Definitely got that charisma, but I don't go to Starbucks and people want to buy me free drinks and girls want to get in my truck. Right. You know what I mean? It doesn't happen. But if I were embraced toward a new world of darkness, they very well might. But it's every day and constant, and something in me wants to devour each and every one of them that get closer and closer and keep them around, and that twists you up, and that's the difference. So they kind of define. So Nate said it good, but I'm hammering home that heart piece that pre-Old World of Darkness was, yes, you're a vampire, here's what's cool, and it's awesome, and it's fun, but... You jump off the cliff and get, and you become a vampire in New World. Right, and I think they did that deliberately to define the two difference, the two differences. The one thing that I like about Chronicles of Darkness or New World of Darkness, as opposed to Classic World of Darkness, is the politics of the Chronicles of Darkness. To me, is everything that Classic World of Darkness always should have been but was never really properly portrayed. Like, I feel like courtly life and the prince and all that stuff, they don't bullshit. There's no bones about it. This is an aggressive place where even the, the smallest misstep can, can fuck your day up. Because you're animals. Right. And, and the classic world of darkness was supposed to be that and should have been that. But I don't feel like they ever really took the time to paint it in the perfect light that Chronicles of Darkness. Has. And truly, by the time the people who endorsed their brand got a hold of it, they already treated it as the Bible. Right. Right? It was canon Bible, and at that point, any company is beholden to those who are paying them. To me, the Chronicles of Darkness is all about brutality in politics, if, if you understand what I'm saying. I do. The politics is brutal. And I feel like Classic Worlds of Darkness was always supposed to be that way, but it's n- very rarely ever portrayed that way. It's very rarely ever done that way. And it's, I feel like it's, it's a lot of it has to do with the, the fun of a player. I feel like in a lot of role-playing games, I feel like you and I as people, as players, are well-versed at like very meticulous politicking. Right. We're well-versed at that sort of like cutting-edge this the slightest misstep quid right. pro quo right hooking people exactly i feel like we're skilled at that but most people don't enjoy that because they just they're not equipped for it it's it's not that we're heartless either the entertainment is you and i are nice guys i mean it's right. that simple but when it comes down to it yeah we're nice guys but it doesn't mean we don't entertain right fancy i enjoy it to and me it's like three-dimensional chess exactly i'm terrible at chess but politicking that's that's something right. like right when when I when I don't have to like worry about a physical piece, then I can get creative, you know. So that's why I say it's like three dimensional chess. And it's not saying that you have to be the type of person to enjoy that. You can be one that enjoys the clan for why you're in that clan and you don't want to be in the politics. Right. And it makes sense. But not being in the politics doesn't mean you're not beneath someone in a title. Right. You see what I'm saying? That's the difference. When you go to a lot, when you play a lot of games or go to a lot of games, people don't get. You don't want to get shit on, but you're playing playing a game because that's your perception. I'm using the term I'm always told. That's the most often said one. I'm tired of getting shit on. Okay, listen. If you want to be somebody in vampiric society, you have to make something of yourself. Right. And either you're useful to someone in power or you get patroned by right. someone in power and you prove entertaining. It's Those are the two bones about it. They have to pick you up and place you on their level for you to be there. And you have to look at it like a pyramid and it all flows up top to the prince. Right. And the prince has to answer to the inner council. Right. And that's the way it will just occurs first, but then on up. And the fact is... If you don't want to be the ones who support the pyramid, 
then you're going to have to trample the weak and hurdle the dead. And if you don't have the heart, then find a way to make peace with where you're at. Right. And that's okay, because out of game, a lot of people, you hear it all the time, I'm heartbroken to hurt someone in game because these are my friends. Hey, cool, I understand that. My recommendation is that when you play something, play something so different from you that it becomes okay to do what you need to do because you clearly see that's not you. Or play what you like, but then just don't hurt your friends. Right. So I'm going to cut you off there. We're going to talk about more, talk about this more in our other podcast. I just assume we're going to cut it and put it over there because it made sense. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll, we'll let this one stay. This is called a teaser. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, if you want to hear more about this topic and other topics related to it, check us out at NerdWords. That's our other podcast. It's also on our website. You can find us on utilitymuffinlabs.com. That's our website. That's where our podcasts are. <laughs> I'm Nathan. And I'm Bob. And we will talk to you again soon. Thanks for listening. Namazani. Boop, 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 boop. Namazani. Boop, boop, boop. Namazani. Boop, 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 boop,